and welcome to episode 5 of the Robot Dinner Party. I'm your host, Ben, and for the intro song you just heard there, that was ZZ Top's Sharp Dressed Man. I still love the usual intro by Dave Weimer, and you'll hear it again probably on the next episode, but I've been in a nostalgic 80s mood over the last few days, and ZZ Top is something that I put on when I'm in a really good mood. There's just something about that driving beat, the slight blues tinge, and some kicking distorted guitar riffs, that makes me happy and really gets me going. And I guess I've been in a good mood despite the death of Soundgarden lead man Chris Cornell, who died last week of suicide in a Detroit hotel after he played his last show there. I mean, that's just devastating news for, first of all, his friends and his family, but also fans of that generation of rock and roll with the alternative and grunge scene going on there, you know. I was an 80s kid, but I came of age in the 90s. And so I was right up on that Nirvana and Soundgarden and STP and all that shit. Not so much a fan of uh, Pearl Jam there, but I know a lot of people are. And Eddie Vedder, the Pearl Jam lead man, you know, he's one of the few uh, big lead men we've got left from uh, that generation. Although, whoever says that he's the only one that's left from that generation is rather lazier and idiot, but uh, still all the same, you know, we we don't have a lot of the uh, rock legends from the grunge era left, at least the guys who uh, headed the the main groups that pioneered that scene, and you know, some people were also like, wow, what other generation has had their, their rock gods die like that? Well, I mean, come on, it's been happening since the beginning of rock and roll, I mean, regardless of what caused the death you got people like buddy holly elvis presley Jimi hendrix janice joplin john lennon randy rhodes uh the former ozzy osbourne guitarist dimebag daryl and of course you got uh scott wyland kurt cobain and now chris cornell and the list could go on and on and on and on i'm just you know, it's it's sad. Like I said, regardless of the reason, some of them are overdoses, some of them are plane crashes, some of them are other reasons. And, you know, even though we don't really know these people at all, I mean, they touched a part of our lives uh, through their music. And so, yeah, we, we mourn along with everyone else. And, of course, our hearts go out to uh, Chris Cornell's family as well as, you know, anybody who's a victim of a tragic death and including those who were killed in Manchester uh, by that uh, terrorist explosion at the Ariana Grande concert. It's a dangerous world out there, people. But like I said, uh, you know, even though we got some sad stuff going on, I've still uh, kept pretty upbeat here. I just got back from Chicago over a long weekend. <laughs> there was so much driving involved, and I was down there for an interview 
that I spent way too much time thinking about that uh, sort of feels like I uh, didn't even get a weekend. But on Friday, I went to a Cubs game at Wrigley Field, and that's something I can scratch off my bucket list now. You know, I'm primarily a fan of the Detroit Tigers, but I've also liked the Cubs for going on 20 years now. And I've seen them play at Comerica Park. I've seen them play at whatever the White Sox Stadium is. And by the way, the White Sox Stadium is terrible. Made my brother hate baseball by going to a game there. But uh, Wrigley Field, man, it is incredible. I mean, that's a stadium that's been around for about 100 years now. And, oh, I, I just love the atmosphere there. I wish I could somehow convey the smells that were going on in that concourse. What with the brats and the hot dogs and all the onions. And I had this uh, hot Italian beef sandwich. Holy cow, was it good. It was, you know, kind of a unseasonably cold day. It was uh, some light rain going on. And uh, they did eventually rain delay the game. Made it through six innings before the, the uh, rain really started coming down hard. And so this cold rainy day, this hot Italian beef was just perfect. But, um... Yeah, the whole experience of Wrigley, it feels like you're right there on top of the field. Uh, just, it doesn't seem like there's a bad viewing experience anywhere in the stadium. When that rain delay did hit, I took the time to wander around the stadium and take in as much as I could. Had a beer, had a pretzel, went up to the very top of the stadium, went to the, you know, just wherever, and uh, took everything in. And I wasn't able to get some fantastic photos because of the... Uh, weather but uh that's that's going to be an experience that i take with me for the rest of my life and i think i'm definitely going to be back hopefully on a warm sunny day sometime soon and <laughs> i joked with my friend right before going down that i'm basically cameron from uh ferris bueller's day off you know the friend who's kind of uh you know stoic and sullen and he's got that red wings jersey on i told him i was gonna put on a red wings jersey that i have and uh wear it down to wrigley field and take a picture for him but uh I forgot that jersey, not that it's that important anyway. <laughs> but I also hit up Chinatown, I went to the Shedd Aquarium. You know, overall it was a pretty fun weekend. And yeah, Chicago's just an awesome experience, man. And yeah, the interview that I had there went pretty well. I have no idea if I'm going to get the job. But uh, it was a very refreshing experience compared to the interview I had a couple weeks before that into the Detroit area. You know, it was... Uh, the dude who did the interview in the Detroit area, you know, he runs a great company, but man, the type of questions he was asking and the belittling he was doing, just taking a shit all over my resume and just giving me the most ridiculous lowball figure for what he was willing to pay for salary and telling me that I should be letting my wife stay at home to raise our kid instead of work when, you know, that's my wife's choice to work. That's, that's the kind of society we live in where the woman gets to choose whether she stays at home or works. And so this that was just an awful, awful experience. But so I was sort of thinking like, yo, you 21st century? Nah, you 1950s, bro. But you know, I'm not really going to say it's a waste of time because every time I go to an interview, whether it's good or bad, you know, you always learn something from it and you get more comfortable with it. And at this point, uh, I've been having so many interviews over the last... Uh, couple years that I'm not even getting nervous when I have one and you know that that's kind of the best place to be is to just be yourself in an interview so we'll see lots more important things going on lately 
the weekend before I went to Chicago, I did the Fifth Third Riverbank run, which I intended to run with my four-year-old daughter. Not the full 25K, just the 5K. But, uh, man, even though she bounces off the walls for 12 to 15 hours a day, apparently getting up at 5 a.m. is a little too much for her. She refused to run it with me. And, uh, you know, being a bit of a bigger guy, I was actually going to be doing a combination of running and walking the thing. Uh, you know, I've, I've in the past worked my way all, all the way up to a half marathon doing that. And once, you know, about 10 years ago, attempting a marathon, which I wasn't able to completely do uh, due to an injury. But, yeah, I was supposed to do this with my daughter, but getting up at 5 a.m., she refused to uh, do any running or walking. So I was like, you know what, screw it, I'm going to throw you on my shoulders and we're going to uh, just walk the whole way. And so we did. Uh, some people were impressed by the fact that I could uh, go that far with her on my shoulders. But I mean, as a dad, that's just the kind of thing you do when you have a kid, you know. And even though she was uh, a little uh, petulant about it at first, afterwards she was like, that was really fun, Dad. So hopefully that planted the seed so that in the future uh, we can really get rolling and doing these things together. Because when it's not a race day, we're already doing this stuff on the trails. And that reminds me, you know, I can do a few miles on the trails. You know, I'm not even sore afterward. But man, you go on that pavement after not doing the practice running on the pavement. Oh, the amount of pain I was in from that. Oh, it's enough to make me want to bring out that little-known villain from the vast comic multiverse, the Crank. Okay, no, the Crank just chill. Nobody wants to hang around a cranky old guy. They do want to do is watch movies like Guardians of the Galaxy 2 or King Arthur. Okay, not everybody wants to see King Arthur, but I did. So did my friend Nick. And I loved King Arthur. He didn't so much. We agree that Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is a fantastic movie and so we talked about it and we recorded part of it so here now for you is a recorded conversation between me and nick about guardians of the galaxy 2 king arthur and maybe a little bit of other stuff as well nick you drinking anything tonight um yes i actually am drinking some cardinal pale ale um it's brewed out of the nebraska brewing company funny enough is where i'm from and broadcasting from it is sort of funny. I would have expected a cardinal beer to be brewed out of St. Louis. Mm, that's true. Um, but this is a very, very solid go-to beer. And if you have a chance, that's probably their most, um, I would say it's their flagship beer. I'm not sure um, where else Nebraska Brewing Company beers are actually located or if it's just Nebraska. So if you have a chance, check it out. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen any of the Nebraska Brewing Company stuff in Michigan yet. I'll try to keep an eye out for it. I do remember that when I lived in Omaha that I saw it quite frequently at the uh, Alamo Drafthouse Cinema. Yes. Ours, uh, the uh, Alamo Drafthouse in Kalamazoo is having uh, <laughs> issues. I'm not sure if it's going to shut down or just move someplace. But Are you talking about issues like technical? Like they're being kicked out of their lease in uh, oh. downtown Kalamazoo. But I don't understand why they were down there in the first place because, I mean, Kalamazoo is a pretty small city. Um, they ought to be somewhere like Grand Rapids or Ann Arbor or Detroit, but... Detroit! Oh, well. Indeed. I've yeah. got both some Diet Dr. Pepper and some uh, Bell's Mars Double India Pale Ale. It's very hoppy but very smooth, and so I like it. I don't think I want to try them on a hophead, so... 
Mars. You are a hop head. I, I am a, I am a And hop I know, head. actually, I don't know if you've tried the, it's also by Bell's, a hop slam. No. That sounds amazing. I, 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 you know, I only saw like four different types from Bell's at the store, so. Yeah, we've got a lot more different types. This, this Mars beer that I'm drinking is a special issue that they originally did a few years ago. Um, they just released it again. I think there's a whole series of them that's inspired by uh, Holst's The Planet's Symphony. But if I get a chance, I'll see if I can get some of that hops. Yeah, too. go ahead and ship it to me. Uh, next day air, would you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Good friend. <laughs> exactly. So you've been to so you've been to the cinema finally, uh, from what I understand. Oh yeah, I went twice over the past week. Really? I saw Guardians of the Galaxy two and King Arthur. You saw King uh, Arthur as well. Yes. What was your opinion of that? Oh, okay, we'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> I love King Arthur mythology. I just love it, and I think. You know, whether it be um, the Sword in the Stone or uh, there was even really crappy ones like uh, King, the Kid in King Arthur's Court or the First Night with Sean Connery. I mean, but the best, in, the, the, the truest form of like the King Arthur mythology done right is Excalibur. Now, that movie to me is iconic. It's like a psychedelic like action adventure drama like and it has cool characters an amazing 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 story and that is my like benchmark okay and did i think that this new king arthur movie was gonna live up to that no i thought it was gonna be guy richieified which is you know fast pace fast cuts edits that sort of thing my go ahead did you have to say something no but the excalibur was in the early 80s wasn't it 1981 yes Uh uh-huh and that was directed by John Borman, like I mentioned earlier, and he did um, Deliverance. In any case, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, another classic. But so I went to go see this movie, and uh, in short, it's a it's a huge mess. Like there's some things that like really work, and I'm, it just it's totally confused because there's some scenes that are like done right, like it makes sense, like as a Guy Ritchie film, and then other scenes were like. They cheapen it. Well, there, there's no true build-up. The character, and, and that's another thing, too. Like, the guy that plays King Arthur, Charlie Hannum, his character, even though I may like him as an actor, he his character is written so horribly. Like, he doesn't even want the sword. He doesn't want to be a hero. He doesn't want to save Camelot. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't he doesn't want to do any of those things. Like, he's so reluctant because he doesn't want to face his fears because he's selfish. Like, are, and if you watch Excalibur, you have a guy who's basically been... Superman fight where like he's basically taken in by foster parents. They're like, you know, Jonathan and Martha Kent and given a really, really humble life. And when he picks up when the, and he picks up the sword like accidentally, not like he did in this movie where he's like, hey, everyone move. And then, you know, tries to pull out the sword. But this, I mean, in Excalibur, I mean, I'm seriously taking these movies side by side. And it's like, that's completely done wrong. It doesn't make sense for King Arthur to do that. He comes from very, very humble beginnings. You know, it's, I know it's a difference of opinion, but it's not just that, but it doesn't make sense linearly. Like, okay, so now he's making this transition, like, oh, I need to be a hero now. Not like, obviously I know what it means to be you know, poor and be, you know, persecuted and et cetera, et cetera. That was with Excalibur. With this, it's just kind of like, here's this badass that grew up in this whorehouse. Like, they're just completely changing the story, but it doesn't make sense within the confines of the mythology itself. So 
it, 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 was, it was driving me bonkers for like most of the movie. I mean, the, my favorite part was probably, ugh, I can't even think of one. Even when he grabs the sword, like he has some sort of superpowers and it doesn't even make any sense. Like, ugh, it's so stupid. Like, Excalibur is like mythological. Like, like, like it's just grand. It's so grand. And this movie just felt small, like a CGI fest, especially towards the end. The things that I liked about it, one would be the really good CGI, and it's nothing groundbreaking in terms of special effects, but I felt like it was really good special effects. I was particularly impressed by those huge evil elephants, and there was that one scene with a gigantic uh, snake that I didn't see coming. Um, the other thing, though, is that Jude Law seems to be killing just about every performance he's putting out lately. Um, he's very good at portraying somebody who holds a position of power, whether it's, you know, Arthur's uncle in this movie or... Um, as the young Pope. So I did quite enjoy it. I th really saw, you know, a guy who went through a lot of trauma in his childhood, and he, you know, like you said, he was taken in by a whorehouse. Uh, so he did understand what it was like to be poor and go through some hardship, and uh, he was kind of naturally taking on some uh, heroic aspects in terms of protecting them, fighting the Vikings, building up his own stash of coins. I guess I only kind of know this because I listened to a Guy Ritchie interview um, the, it's kind of a, a story about how he learns how to uh, break free of the shackles of what constrains his personality and who he is and be comfortable with becoming that hero. And towards the end, of course, when he's finally able to face his fear with those visions he's having with the sword, then he finally becomes that hero. I, I think one, one nitpicky thing that I would have about it is that with all those years of studying with a kung fu master, he didn't really use any of that kung fu. And then when those black guards came to attack uh, that stronghold where all those kung fu guys were, um, I thought they would have been able to handle themselves better than, than what they showed, but those are kind of nitpicky things. I know that Jude Law was great, and I, I completely, his character out of all the characters was the, was the most interesting. But you only get so much with him, and I wanted to know, like, how can you care about specific people, like his daughter or his wife, but you're not going to care about your nephew, even given the circumstances? I just don't think that Guy Ritchie can take something like Excalibur, and that, you know what, the, the movie did so poorly, box office-wise, like, I think it's considered the, the biggest flop of the year so far. Did it only take in like fourteen and a half million over the weekend? Like, well, I think total. Like, I think even overseas, like it was crazy low. And the movie cost one hundred seventy-five million. And on top of that, this was supposed to be one in in a six-part movie series. Like, that's nuts. They left out the most interesting character only because they wanted to make this into a six-part movie series, and that character is Merlin. He was mentioned in the movie, he's easily the one of the most interesting characters, and he can do anything and everything. And on top of that, the what they call mages, or the people that were like sorcerers in this particular movie. Yeah, I really liked that one female mage of the head. Yes, she's from that, that one movie, um, I, I Origins. She's from I Origins. Anyway, they could do anything. They, could, they, could, they can essentially just defeat everyone. Like, what, what's the point of all of this magic stuff where we have these mages that can basically tilt any any war or battle to their favor, but they don't. They're just, they're, they make them like, you know, spectators watching these things unfold, even though they know full well that they can 
change things if they really want to. But I'd say it's probably a an adrenaline-fueled version of... I know that you may like it. I, I'm very critical of it, but... Oh, well. You said you also saw Legends of the Galaxy? Or, excuse me, Guardians of the Galaxy. Jeez. Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yes. Yeah, that was one that I really enjoyed, and uh, I think I liked it even more than the first one. I totally agree. I, think I, I can't even ahead. pinpoint what it was about Guardians of the Galaxy that I liked more. Besides the soundtrack, I liked especially that they had some uh, Fleetwood Mac in it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Carl Russell was great. I really enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy. I liked it better than the first one. I thought that they made a good, solid... I mean, they you know... See, it's almost like they knew... The, the director, I'm pretty sure he did know, that this was kind of like... The adventure would be more of a filler, but... Um, like, it's kind of like we've already become accustomed to the surface level of these characters. Now we want to see what really makes them tick. And that was an extremely intelligent move to make with this movie because now we try to get to know everything about, you know, uh, Yondu or, um, excuse me, Drax or whatever. Like, any of those people, like, they're all amazing. And I don't know. I just think that that's awesome. Yeah, and I think that it was very much a comic book movie the way a comic book movie is supposed to be. I mean, it, it doesn't have any pretense about trying to make the, uh, I guess, cartoonish aspects realistic at all. And go big or go home, I guess. Um, I just love Kurt Russell on that, too. I mean, you're right. I mean, the special effects were, like, mind-blowing. I thought that... I cannot. I was like, I cannot wait to watch this on my my own screen and with the sound and everything, and just really take it in again. And I just, I, I just think that, and that's the other thing is, it's a very accessible movie. Like you can watch that with your family, you can have a good time, and you don't really. And it, gosh, there's some really funny scenes in there too, but. Yeah, well, one of my favorites is where they call a rocket raccoon a trash panda. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite one is when they call that guy Taser Face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or when Yandu is like, and when he's hanging out with uh, Star Lord, and Star Lord's like, yeah, man, you're you're like Mary Poppins. He's like, is Mary Poppins cool? He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. And I was just like, oh, that's, that's sweet. That is sweet. And then even in the credits for that one, they had a lot of different stuff going on. I mean, I think I was the only person in the theater that stayed for like all 10 or however many you know, post-credit scenes there were. Like, you've got to stay until the credits have finished and that Marvel logo shows up to get to see all of those, but... I missed some of those, too. I was pissed. Yeah, I like the fact that Stallone was in there, too, and they're going to make him a bigger a bigger part in the next one. So, I'm, I'm excited for that. So, I just... The whole series, I just think that they're... They're amazing. I just didn't think that they could do better in the second one, and they did, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's my favorite comic book movie series since uh, the Christopher Reeve Superman. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. I, are you sure? Well, I'd, I'd have to think harder to you know come with a definitive answer whether it beats out the Nolan Batman trilogy, but well, <laughs> other than that. Yeah, the Nolan Batman trilogy... Minus the shaky third one, <laughs> mostly bad third one, but I don't know. Maybe the Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, the first two, I thought were really solid, but yeah, I don't know. Now, did you see any previews that intrigued you at the theater? 
Um, the ones that stick out in my mind are Atomic Blonde. Um, I don't know what the main character's name is supposed to be, but it's obviously a blonde chick who looks like she's some sort of a spy. Oh, she kicks a lot of it. Charlize Theron? Ah, uh, yes, Charlize Theron. Yeah, I, I think I saw a little bit of that. It reminded me a lot of Salt, that Angelina Jolie movie, because she has similar hair, and she's a tough female kicking butt. I just didn't think much of it after I saw it because I've seen Salt so many times. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just, I've just seen too many movies. I'm just like, oh, yeah, it reminds you of this. <laughs> So you, you you need to practice movie abstinence. Just go without movies for a couple of years, and then you'll start to appreciate them again. That's so hard to do. <laughs> that is so hard to do. I'm trying to get other trailers I saw though recently. I, um, the new. I'm not sure if we talked about it before, but the War of the Planet of the Apes. That oh, that one looks good. Yeah. They had a promo trailer like a couple of days ago where they put in Charlton Heston's voice, as. They're showing you clips of the movie and you know give it some really awesome effect about like the collapse of humanity and then the rise of the apes and they're like you know the parallel between these two. I, it's just it's just awesome. It's just I'm just really hyped for that movie, which will be the last of this series. It's going to directly lead up to Charlton Heston. I'm assuming landing on Earth, and I think that that'll be a nice you know close to the series so we'll see oh yeah definitely now speaking of a famous person lending their voice to a trailer i've been interested in this upcoming transformers movie and i haven't been able to figure out why well i think i finally figured it out it's because anthony hopkins is yep. narrating a bunch of the trailer yep so <laughs> he i guess adds some dramatic element that would otherwise not be there with a michael bay movie um but we've also got the, the Kingsman coming up. I really like that trailer. Um, and I haven't seen the original, so I have to do that before it comes out in the theaters. And then the Thor movie. The Thor movie is looking as creative and colorful as Guardians of the Galaxy right now. Like I, I completely agree. I think that's a good comparison. And that's the reason why I misspoke earlier. and I was confusing them between each other because aesthetically, they look very, very similar. Um... But I know that director that did what we do in the shadows, which is that um, <laughs> it's that mockumentary about vampires having to live with each other as roommates. It, it, it's hilarious. Um, and once I heard that he was going to be director of the new Thor movie, I was like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. It's going to be so funny. It's like, ah, it's just, it'll be a new turn in the Thor franchise. So I'm, I'm super psyched for that. Um, gosh. We need to talk about Alien, though. Are you going to go see it this weekend? Uh, probably not this weekend. Probably next weekend. The wife and the kid are going to be out of town for about a week, so I'm going to have plenty of time to see movies and podcasts and everything. So Nice. Yeah, I, um, I know that there were some people that were they were knocking on it, and you know I'm not exactly... I couldn't pinpoint as to what exactly their problem was, but I, I'm, I think at this point I'll come up a lot like I did with Prometheus, where I'll have some deeper issues with it, but I won't be able to deny how beautiful the movie looks. So I'm super excited, and I got my I got my tickets and everything, and ready to go. And shortly after that, it's gonna be the Wonder Woman movie coming out. Oh yeah, 
And it's weird because I, I've heard like some short interviews from articles and stuff like that with the director, Patty Jenkins, and she was just saying, you know, I kind of want to, I was kind of referencing a lot of my movie or um, to the, the original Superman movie with, with Christopher Reeve. I'm like, that is awesome. Like that is, that's what you should do to start off. Because I think if anything, <laughs> Wonder Woman should hopefully kick DC's movie butt so that they're they're back they're trying to get back in this competition with Marvel because they need to do something and uh, I, I'm very very hopeful everything I've seen from Wonder Woman is it looks amazing always ah, oh, great to talk to Nicholas there he's the kind of guy who's not gonna tell me that my resume is worthless and yeah, yeah, I'm going to have other guests on from time to time. And of course, he'll continue to make appearances from time to time as well. But I think we've hit our quota for the week. I'm going to try to not make it a whole month between episodes next time. It just feels good to get a podcast recorded, you know? Of course you know. I just told you, goddammit. So, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to episode 5 of the Robot Dinner Party. If you'd like to email the podcast... Hit me up, robotdinnerparty at gmail.com. And on Twitter, you can find me at robotdinnerpod. For the New Pod World Order Network, I'm your host, Ben. It's been great. Thank you for listening again to the Robot Dinner Party. Until next time, have a great week and keep those circuits lubed.